The Chicago Bears enter a bye week, a game they cannot lose at four and eight. But if you've ever been on, whether it's Twitter, whether it's any internet forum, the only conversation around the Chicago Bears right now revolves around the quarterback, Justin Fields. And in a three-part series that Nick and I are going to be reviewing the entire Bears team, we figured why start anywhere else? We're going to make this podcast episode all about Fields. Honestly, Nick, so we don't have to talk about him again. But we'll get into it. All the ups, all the downs. Where is he good? Where is he not? What could he get better at? What is what it is? All this and more on this episode of Bear With Us. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Us, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, editor-in-chief of the Bears blog, alongside my co-host, Nick Whalen from Football Guys. And Nick, what a nice weekend it is to be talking about the Bears. I mean, we're starting to enter December. It is long. It is crazy how long this season has been going on. What better topic to talk about than number one, man? The only one anybody wants to talk about. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean... I named my dog after him. Like I'm a, I'm a big fan. It's, it's off of a win, right? I mean, we have the bye where we have the wind going into it. It's cold here in Wisconsin, Robert, the, the snow is here now. So um, I'm glad that we don't have to talk about, you know, another loss and all the question marks, but now we can just talk in depth about fields. But before that, mm-hmm. we had some other good bear news. I thought I would ask a question of you to be, tell me realistic with this question. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Devin Hester got named into the uh, the group, the, the semifinals for the Hall of Fame. Do you think Devin Hester deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? Deserves? Absolutely. I think Devin Hester and I think Peanut Tillman deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm a huge believer in, instead of just giving people volumetric awards or high-profile players awards. Like, for instance, I think there might be too many quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame. When a quarterback or when a player changes the rules in some way, shape, or form, I think that player deserves the Hall of Fame because they have impacted the way that football will forever be played. It is, to me, a crying shame that something the announcers call the peanut punch. You didn't ask me about Charles Tillman, but I'm going to rant about him anyways. Yeah, you're going there. Like, the, the fact that announcers to this day reference the peanut punch and then they say old Charles Tillman as if you're just supposed to know what team he played for because you mm-hmm. said his name that way. Like, I didn't know who Zach Thomas was, and that's probably because I'm too young. But oh, like, I remember there, Zach Thomas. There are some of these players where you go through the Hall of Fame list and you're like, that's a really good lineman. Honestly, part of me feel, it feels like you have to open the class up in some way, shape, or form to add more guys because football has all kinds of legends. Football's amazing that way. But it's just a shame to me that Devin Hester, who was effectively the last great kick returner before they changed the rules and made it to where you pretty much can't return a kickoff for a touchdown unless you are right. obscenely lucky, it, he he was the story. He returned a, a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl opening kickoff for six. Like, mm-hmm. you can't build the legend any better he was nearly the entire offense i mean it felt that way right in 2006 (laughs) where it was like if the defense didn't score devin would score and if the defense and devins didn't score we lost (laughs) right or well i mean thomas jones yeah so there's a couple things here one is i i agree with you i think that the hall of fame has softened a lot of it was when bryant young went in i was like he was just 
a good player? Was he a Hall of Fame player? I think Leroy Butler was also like debatable um, because there's like a Hall of Very Good. And even Deion Sanders said that. He's like, you better put me in a different category because I'm in there and these guys are not in my area. Like you you have to be, I think, elite at something. Think of Gail Sayers, right? I know Bears fans will recognize sure. you know him. And, and like he was elite for a short period of time, but he was at least elite. It wasn't, he was there and he accumulated yards for 12, 13 seasons, you know, and that's, that's kind of the hold of very good. Now I do respect some guys that could stay healthy and could have long, maybe very good careers, but I think this good, good, to, you know, solid for a long time. They, baseball does it too. Oh, I played for 20 seasons and he has so many hits, so he right. should get in. It's like, that's just a long career. This doesn't mean it's elite. So, you're right. I I do though. Another former bear. I th- I think Cordell Patterson is the best kick returner ever. Not going to argue with you. He but, just he just did it after the rules were changed. So there right. wasn't a way to show the impact and also I would argue that he wasn't a, so I, I but, like well, this, hold on. Hold on though. Yeah, go hold on. On. He's the better kick returner, but I think Hester is the best overall returner we've ever seen cuz you had punts and kicks to it. I mean, it was the, the other part too that isn't in the stats. I'm sure someone could figure it out, but the how he flipped field position because people didn't want to kick yes. to him yes. is what made Chicago so good along with the defense carrying that offense is when because think of that Super Bowl, right? He returns the first one for a touchdown. Amazing. After that, they squib and kick away from him and improve Chicago's field position because they were scared of him. Yep. I've never seen a team that scared of a returner ever. Never because he was he was it. He was the guy. And mm-hmm. kind of like Eddie Jackson in 2019, not not quite the same, but after that 2018 season, teams just didn't throw at Eddie Jackson. His interceptions nosedived because you ignored him. You attacked yep. anybody else. And with mm-hmm. Ha Ha Clinton Dix on the field, you could. In this case, punts yeah. and kickoffs, what's the worst? Balls at the 35, balls at yeah. the 40. I mean, me- remember when Sarburn or uh, he had two against Denver? He hurdled Sarburn in the one, and then he had the, the kick return Gosh. for him. He had two in the same game. It's ridiculous. Just a different dude. I mean, you go back and you watch those highlights, especially if you watch them at full speed without that weird. I love the fact that NFL Films does the like slow down to make everything cinematic. But I grew up thinking that football just used to be slow. Like I have I have found a new love in be as an adult going back and watching bits and pieces of old games at full speed and being like, wow, football's been awesome. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And one thing that does get kind of funky about the Hall of Fame. I love that you mentioned this. I've heard a lot of people use things like, uh, well, the guys that you can't tell the story of football without. And I'm like, see, that's a different classification. Because when you start saying the guys you can't tell the story of football without, now San Antonio Holmes and that catch that won a Super Bowl enters the list. David David Tyree is the one that everybody thinks of. Eli Manning shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. Sorry, Giants fans. Uh, But he won the most NFL football game ever played. Like beating like 18 and 1. And that game and the ending to that season is why people like the NFL more than college. Like most NFL fans will agree that the ability for a team to go through adversity and just squeeze their way into the playoffs and from there write their own destiny is is most of the fun, right? That's the Cinderella story, man. You're not out until uh, somebody puts you out. Like it's the most physical game played at the highest level. And that's why. And to me, because of that, 
we get a bunch of people trying to find weird justifications to put their guy in because 32 teams have heroes. Like I'm still amazed Brian Erlacher actually got in, in Ray Lewis's class, not because Erlacher didn't deserve it, but because Ray Lewis, I would have expected to just hog, if you will, all of the attention for linebacker. Right. And so I hope Hester gets in. I mean, I think Ray guy, he got in, right. He did eventually get in. Yeah. And in in this class, I think there's some guys for sure. I think Antonio Gates will get in for sure. I'm trying to think of who the other, Oh, Julius Peppers, I think will get in for sure. Um, A couple others. I mean, I kind of like him. I know this is not bear bears, you know, players, but I think London Fletcher gets in second most all time tackles. He was good with multiple franchise. I would say very good to elite with multiple franchises. Then you get the receivers, which you talked about, like the rules changing, like, like Torrey Holt, um, Andre Johnson, oh, the other one, Steve Smith, Anquan Bolden, they're all there. And then a lesser guy behind Ward. but it's like, what all do you value? And like, when do you get them in? Uh, those would be kind of my, that, that group. I think you get five from that group of players. So the problem that I have with hall of fame, and we're going to get off of this is that <laughs> when I talk to guys like Jack Silverstein at Windy City Gridiron or Jeff Burkus also at Windy City Gridiron that know the hall of fame and the way that it works better than I do, I start to hate it that much more. It comes down to how many seasons were you a Pro Bowl, which basically is a media vote. Like it really becomes, did the media celebrate you enough, right? Because when you look at defenders that played from when Charles Tillman's career started to when Charles Tillman's career ended, would you believe it, Nick? Out of all defenders, this is all positions. This is not DBs. This is not just DBs and linebackers. This includes defensive ends. Only Robert Mathis forced more fumbles than Charles Tillman. And only Charles Woodson picked off more passes than Charles Tillman, who's definitively second place in both. And if you add the turnovers, is a clear first place. But that just doesn't matter because DeAndre Hall caught four interceptions off of Jay Cutler, ended up having six interceptions in the season, and he made a Pro Bowl and Charles Tillman did not. So the fact that, to be honest with you, media members just didn't know ball enough to appreciate what Charles Tillman was doing yeah. is what's going to keep him out of the Hall of Fame until probably the senior committee puts him in. And Wait. at that point, I pretty much boycott the whole process. And, and I'm Wait. trying to be cool about it. <laughs> no, I, I, I get it. I have two. So I'll let you, I'll let you go first. What, what is your favorite Charles Tillman moment then? Oh man. So since, I, since you've transitioned this into the Charles Tillman, you know, we're going to celebrate him. Let's celebrate. Is that okay? Is it okay that we went to Charles Tillman before talking yeah. about Charles well, well, And if you don't have either of these two, I'm going to tell both of them. So what, what's your favorite Charles so Tillman I, moment? I, I grew up just late enough that I caught the tail end of Charles Tillman. I didn't get Charles Tillman against Randy. Like the Randy Moss matchup that everybody loves to talk about. But what I always loved was listening to people bill the upcoming Bears-Lions game as a game that Calvin Johnson was going to just go mash in. And me pretty much just sitting there knowing, no, he's not. He really struggles against Bears because he Uh lines up against number 33. And the Bears are lucky, honestly, that we were still playing offense that was all inspired by the 2000s. Because had had the Lions, I don't know, been coached by Kevin O'Connell, they just would have lined CJ up in the slot and he would have eaten yep. even more. Whenever they mm-hmm. did put him in the slot, he ate anyways. I'll never forget him stiff arming uh, a corner named DJ Moore or a safety, I, it should be, and just racing into the end zone in Motown. But the way Charles Tillman would duel the maybe the best to ever do it at, at receiver was always just like a, a childhood nostalgia mm-hmm. I will never let go yeah. of. 
Yeah, no, that that's that's fair. I mean, that's definitely kept them in more games against Detroit. With I mean, don't ask about how he did against guys like Steve Smith, though. Yeah, we Steve, we we don't. It's a matchup like, mess. That's we that's don't like the we don't like Steve Smith in Chicago. We know that. Okay, DJ so Moore the one that like killed Charles Tillman is what I'm trying to get at. Well, he but killed like, everyone. Who don't we can't even talk about the playoff game, man? Come on, that's PTSD. <laughs> okay, so so one would be Charles Tillman as a rookie ripping away. The interception from Randy Moss. That was when Randy Moss was in his prime until when we were like, okay, well, he's showing a little bit. Actually, as a small story, so with my college coaching, I uh, was on the same staff with his former college strength and conditioning coach when he was at Louisiana Lafayette. So I, I, I was like, how is he? You know, he, I got some little inside stories, but I knew a little bit of him and I was cheering for him. And then when he ripped away the interception from Moss, it just got me really more, you know, just so much more excited and appreciative yeah. of him. Another one would be when he had the four forced fumbles against Tennessee in that oh game gosh, was, that was ridiculous. Incredible. That was incredible. And then I'll put in actually a third one. This is underappreciated. I always liked and this is going to tie the two Hall of Famers together, or potential Hall of Famers, how about that, is Charles Tillman played gunner and special teams when he was a star player and didn't have to, but he did because he was good at it. He was constantly out there, and that helped, I think, clear more paths for Hester to do well and also to to help our special teams on coverage units too. So think of, I mean, Think of Jalen Ramsey. Is Jalen Ramsey out there doing special teams? No, he's not doing that at all. But Charles Tillman was. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's so funny looking back because that's like the birth of the new age of football, right? Mm -hmm. Like you get this crossover from 2000 to 2010 and you get the the seedbed of what has become the current NFL and things were changing. And it's so funny because had somehow Charles Tillman gotten drafted in 2011 by the Seattle Seahawks, he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer, right? Yep. He would yep. fit in so well with the Legion of Boom. He was mm -hmm. still on a legendary defense in his own right and was one of the major pieces of that defense being so good. It, mm -hmm. It's just a it's a shame, to be honest, to me to, that so many people missed it in the moment because – I think he deserves all the honors the Bears could give him. But that's also why rings of honor are so huge for each individual team is because mm -hmm. guys like Demarcus Lawrence, for instance, he's a great cowboy, a great cowboy or Dak mm -hmm. Prescott when all things are said and done. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm using local Dallas examples for obvious reasons. But well, well, yeah, but we could use Chicago here. I'll, I'll add one in here. I think Lance Briggs has been super underrated. I, there were many oh, years yeah. I thought he was the best linebacker we had. I mean, he took over games at times yep. and mm -hmm. not to mention, gosh, I'm looking for other examples. Like when you think about, I don't know, it gets so funny because like Adewale Agunye was good, but he wasn't amazing. The, the Bears mm -hmm. didn't really have a lot of defensive linemen that were really outstanding uh, mm -hmm. until we got Peppers. and Then he kind of took yeah. over. For I mean, Tommy long. Harris had a couple of years and then Tommy he Harris didn't. was amazing until he was hurt and then it was over. Yep. But speaking, well, no, I can't say speaking of hurt and then it was over. That is way too depressing and whoa, untrue. Whoa, And untrue. And untrue. But we, we should get back to the Justin Fields piece of this because I've seen it all over Twitter that everybody wants to talk about Justin Fields. Honestly, Nick, people have been wanting to talk about Justin Fields for the last uh, 13 weeks, uh, which I guess <laughs> includes preseason week three if we weren't talking about it earlier. He's been mm -hmm. nearly the only story. And <clears throat> watching the Minnesota game, and I mean – I'm sure you've had this same issue, Nick. Life comes up, 
And especially after a Monday night game, that disrupts our rhythm. One of my best film days is Monday, which of course was game day. So then Tuesday, I still didn't get the film until like five because nobody gets Monday night games soon unless you're, you know, Tim Jenkins, Chase Daniel. So I have watched the I've watched the first half of the game and then I watched the last piece of the game. And what is so funny about watching that Minnesota game, in my opinion, is that it was one of the more Fields games we could have expected. I mean, how did Fields find more success against Minnesota than he did the first time? Uh, because he just out-athleted everybody. Like, yep. were, was he drastically better in structure? Uh, not really. But he was way, way sicker when he's rolling to his left, like finding a tight arm angle throw to DJ Moore. When he misses a read to his left, he rolls out of the pocket and fires a strike, an improv strike, mind you, to Khalil Herbert, who turns Mm -hmm. it into a faux wheel route and creates 12 yards out of nowhere. Like, Justin Fields broke, what was it, three, four tackles, like very early in the game. And then on fourth and 10, when Minnesota sent an all-out blitz, he did his job, stayed alive, and found Cole Komet. I'm not trying too hard to, to like, take shots at Fields. It was just so funny because in structure, we were still the same guy. But the out-of-structure stuff got so much better from what Mm -hmm. it was against Minnesota that you started to see that, top 20 quarterback in the NFL who's effectively winning by sheer force of will in this case, but also uh, winning with let's, let's give him the Cairo 48 yard field goal winning 15 to 10, which is, you know, something we would tease Bryce young for if that's a situation that he found himself in. So Mm -hmm. how let's start at the top, right? Well, well, hold Uh, on. Yeah, no, you're right. You need to, you need to get a piece in about Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, so part of this is, when you watch the film, obviously there's all the screens, which we, we joked about on the post game pod is like something he wasn't great at. He, I thought he did better with those throws. I think it helps when Lucas Patrick snaps it decently well, unlike earlier in the season, but there were a couple of throws that he missed on. Um, there were a couple of reads maybe he could have hit, but there were also multiple where he's not going to go here. Then he goes here and he definitely improved. It was almost like, the Green Bay game where he's like, I want to just complete passes, whether it's a check down, mm-hmm. whether it's a he spot got the route ball to somewhere. Met. Yep. And 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 then you said he was also a hero because he can do that. There are times, I mean, we we know Justin Fields is athletic. I think we forget sometimes how much of a freak he is at that position. Like there are he's a better athlete than Jalen Hurts is. I mean, it's him and Lamar. Um, I mean, I don't know Anthony Richardson is hurt. I wouldn't put him in that category yet. Those two are are freaks other than that people are just like good athletes like we just saw josh dobbs on the other side he's a good athlete he's not justin fields remember the one when fields had the design just roll out or correct keep around the corner and there were three vikings there and he's just like i'm faster than all you guys and boom 12 yard gain like oh, he yeah. can just do things and, and we forget those special moments like if we go back to that denver game oh roll he boots there's a guy there he messes with him like three times and then hits Kill Herbert for a touchdown. Like he has this special category to him. 49ers fans know this from what his rookie year oh, yeah. when the, the run isn't there, your versus feel like he has so much to him that he did that in Minnesota and made you excited. Like if we go back four weeks, Robert, we are his for his, his last four games. Great game against Denver. He had the fumble. I get it. But I would say a great game overall. 
great game against Washington, not great half and one drive against Minnesota. And then I would say a very good game against Detroit. And now we have this game. And so you had all those together. It's like, well, he had one down game out of five and we're really down on him as our quarterback. It's like, I was more impressed on the film. I thought than I would be PFF actually shockingly people aren't going to believe this. That was his second highest pass grade game of the season was against Minnesota last week. And I would argue <clears throat> that makes sense when you think about how PFF grades it, because there really were a lot of these plays. Let me use a perfect example. It's a it's a third and it's like a third and five, third and six on the early drive, the first drive, right? And the Bears call something that's got Tyler Scott running an in against a cover three look where it's very obvious from Jump Street he's going to be open, right? Justin Fields keeps his eyes on the right, doesn't like what D, or DJ Moore is stone cold locked up just based on the coverage you knew he would be. Uh, Fields hangs on the read a little too long, darts back to Scott late. Scott is wide open if we throw with anticipation, but we don't. Instead, we check down to Cole Komet, and Cole Komet, plus Roshan Johnson tush-pushing him, works out that way sometimes, right? Turns mm -hmm. that into a first down. Is that a bad play? Well, no, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not a great play, it's, but it's not a bad play. Yeah, I agree even, with you. It's even within structure, technically, because mm -hmm. we found our check down in yep. rhythm. Like, he got, he got Cole Komet when Cole Kmet is releasing his block very, very fluidly. Was there an easier path over the middle that Brock Purdy, who I'm using purely because Brock Purdy might be our best example of like anticipatory throws is what the kid does, yep. right? Yep. He's going to hit that throw and everybody's going to go, oh, Kyle Shanahan, wow, Kyle Shanahan's so good. Like everything's so easy. God, these weapons too good. That's, that's what Purdy would have done, right? But Fields finds a play and it ends up a first down. PFF is going to score this as a like plus half or a plus zero. They aren't going to say misread kid yep. sucks. You know what I'm yep. saying? Yep. But it is still emblematic of the player that we have seen. And that player, like you're talking about, gets way too much undue hate because of the situation the Bears sit in where it's not common. You can actually say, I don't like my quarterback. Let's draft the best quarterback in the draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's rare, and it it only happened honestly because of some pretty unbelievable luck. And that's why, if you don't mind, as we talk about what Justin Fields is, let's make a deal, right? Let's pretend the number one pick doesn't exist for the entire conversation. Let's talk about exactly what Justin Fields is, with the assumption that the only way to get any better would be to like work a trade for Kyler Murray that might take a first round pick from either this year or next year's draft. Maybe you're going to sign Derek Carr if like the Saints cut him or work a trade for Matthew Stafford. You get what I'm saying? Something your boy, Kirk Cousins. So, you always bring up Kirk Cousins. I always bring go. up Kirk Cousins totally. Like you could, you can go the sign Kirk Cousins route. Sure. But let's assume that to sign Kirk Cousins, you still have to ink him to a minimum three year deal. Because some other desperate like entity is already offering that. And if you're going to nope. win the money, like, because that's the part about the Kirk Cousins piece that I got to admit to you, I've been getting wrong, is I keep thinking you could get him on something medium reasonable. Oh, no. It's no. Baron Wasteland at quarterback. No, he, he, makes, he makes a lot of money and he's come up a major injury. So, so no, I, I'm okay with it. So, so if we look at fields, okay, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I'll just start with in terms of like, what does he do well? 
And the one thing I think that I want to start with, with what he does well is I want to start with like, where has he improved? Because like, there are things that he does well. And there's things that I think that he has gotten better at that people just aren't recognizing. So, so one is we saw this at Ohio state. We saw that this year, he's really good at the deep ball and not just throwing the deep ball. It's throwing the deep ball and completing the deep ball. I mean, there are many of them, which we know of like Bayless Jones against Dallas last year, that they're deep balls that should have been completed that he just threw that were well, heck Bayless Jones this year in the end zone, right? Like there's multiple that could be even better, but he's really good at the deep ball. He has the arm for it. He has the confidence to throw it, which is an issue we'll get to later. Um, arm strength, I think is there to make the throws outside the numbers with confidence. Think of Washington on those curls. He's going to hit it in there. And then obviously athleticism, creativity that is there in spades. I mean, he can do things. Very few people on this earth can do as a quarterback and it's special. I mean, let's Mm -hmm. go back to Detroit last year or home game against Detroit last year, Robert, there's a quick motion in and then out to Darnell Mooney because they were going to mess right they were going to they thought that Detroit was banjoing that coverage mm-hmm. and, but nope they they did it correctly and Mooney isn't open Fields is dead from the three what do I do Fields runs around and then gets free and then runs over and knocks out a DB to score a touchdown like oh my god I, I, and Hutchinson was right there too nope you don't matter and he does it like special in terms of creativity we already talked about he can and i think he's improved this year in the creativity department of buying time and then throwing because this is something we talked about before the season started we need him to add that to his repertoire and he's been doing that he did it against minnesota he did that against denver twice for touchdowns i mean that's another layer that when you can move you adjust the zones that were already there and now they're not going to cover them and you, you get guys open and the last thing i want to talk about i think that is a strength is his improvement with accuracy. So I I pulled up some of these numbers because I think sometimes people really think he's like not an accurate quarterback and he's, you know, messing up all the time or the Justin Fields can't throw crowd, right? So his, I have bad throw percentage and on target percentage. So last year he was 71.1% on target. This year, he's improved up to 75.2% on target percentage. Where does that stand among the league? So last year, he was like 25th, I want to say, in okay. that area in terms of on target. And now he's up to 20th in on target percentage. Okay. And then last year, he was 19.3% bad throw percentage. And off the top of my head, I think that was like seventh worst last year. Mm-hmm. And now he's 15% bad target percentage, which is dead middle, like 16th. So now is he the most accurate everywhere quarterback? No, but that's a significant improvement in a short period of time. And that's not just, well, he has DJ Moore. That's the on target and bad throw percentage. That's still throwing the ball to whoever is there, whether they catch it or not, doesn't matter. So to me, I think those are his strengths and some places that he's improved. Do you have any other areas or you want to talk about some of those as well? I actually want to talk about a lot of things. I mean, not only has fields improved in some areas, but like you're saying right now fields has become a hilarious statistical anomaly that if you're not really paying attention, it can be quite difficult to have conversations with people about fields statistics because when Justin Fields throws the ball, he is succeeding in wide berths. Like when Justin Fields throws the ball, it is 
very commonly accurate. When Justin Fields drives the ball to DJ Moore, people could screen like people could screen grab that throw and say, this young quarterback is how you should throw the football. Like when Fields puts all 10 of his or like all of his cleats in the ground, it turns his hips and generates that natural torque we know him to. It is it is a beautiful thing. I think you'd agree, Nick. Like mm-hmm. watching him throw the ball deep is pretty. It looks oh, yeah. really wonderful. Well, and just like the drive against Minnesota, when he let that ball go, I knew it was complete. Did you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but also, that's not fair to ask me because I watched the big game on a 50 second delay. And it's why, if you know me at all, it's why my reaction tweets seem delayed. But I know what happens because uh, I'm also in like a couple Bears group chats that I can't not read because okay. I have to know one way or another. Okay. So I saw people freaking out. But I mean, come on. You know when he throws it that he's that he's going to throw to somebody who's wide open. It's why he looks so good when he does it. I think his release has been better this year. Like a lot of people whined about how long Justin Fields' lopey release is. He is getting off a lot of throws that are wrist flicks that I didn't think he could throw as recently as week four this year. Like this is something that he seems to have worked on. I don't know when he did it, but it's really benefited his game because like we talked about that throw to commit and a couple others in the Minnesota game. The only reason the ball came out at all is because he shot put at the ball. And that's a good thing in the Detroit game. And this game, Justin Fields drops back a, cl- a total of 60 times. Do you know how many sacks he took? Four. Five. But the, the accounting on that still, frankly, gets kind of weird because you have to trust people to get the QB draws right. Right? Yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. still much better than the yep. 13% sack percentage that we were looking mm-hmm. at. 8.5% or whatever that number is, that's normal dare I say it, for a lot of these like hold-the-ball quarterbacks, and that brings things in line. There are a lot of pieces to this, Nick, that Justin Fields has gotten better at. He's hanging in the pocket more than ever. Like, he used to he used to run out of the pocket at the first sign of trouble, and now, yep. it, it, now he kind of gets, you know, panicky in the pocket, but he's determined to stay in it, and that in and of itself is pretty admirable. Is there anything you want to continue talking about as we go through this because there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to this and as we try to peel them all like i I hope we get everything yeah i know i so i have one more thing that's an improvement and one thing i think that i heard kyle shannon say that we, we have to touch on so um he does things in that creativity mode where he changes his arm angle too which i think is nice he has that in his repertoire to still bend and make things work to complete passes. A lot of those are screens or still dump offs, but he still can make them work. Kyle Shanahan, I believe is the guy that heard this from. So I think there's kind of a, a, a divide. People think that players have a lot of time to improve technique and timing and a bunch of other things during the season with their coaches. And they don't, what they do during the season is they have meetings, they have installations, they practice plays with other players, and that's a lot of what is the the individual. And I know this as a coach, the individual time I have to work on drops, to work on snaps, to work on whatever is minimal. That might be 15 minutes a day. Maybe if I get 45 minutes a week on individual time, that's that's lucky for me. And that's to cover everything. I can't say, hey, Justin, I need you to hold the ball a little bit more here. I need you to have more 
quick movements within your core. I need you to do this. They don't get that. That's with private coaches in the off season. That's when they improve. So when we're talking about he's improved in this. He's improved with this. You talked about release. That's someone driven and has, you know, they've reached out to people to say, hey, can you help me with this in that, their own time with their own money? Plus a four-week dislocated thumb. That will help you, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you've got the time to do individual drills that other mm -hmm. people don't, where you're not even holding the ball, right? Just because, you're, or maybe you are, but you're not throwing it. You get it. Um, <clears throat> another piece to talk about here. So Tom Brady got or made some really famous comments just recently talking about how, in his opinion, the current product of the NFL is mediocre. Well, one interesting piece to the story here that I feel like Tom left out is that when Tom joined the league, there were no limits and restrictions on practice time. You did you could have practiced until yeah. you were dead, basically. You didn't have to sleep if you didn't want to. You could just keep drilling. And I imagine a lot of quarterbacks did. So when it comes to what Justin and a lot of these other quarterbacks are having to live through right now in the modern NFL, they don't get the reps, man. Like, mm -hmm. that's why they all talk about this virtual reality thing is because technically it's a way to continue practicing even though somebody else is on the field running the twos and the threes during training camp. There's just not that many reps, man. It is hard to get better because at the end of the day, Justin Fields, I mean, let's say it like this, Nick, when Justin Fields has all of his receivers down to his home in Georgia or Florida or wherever he's living, I cannot remember where it is, uh, and they throw during the offseason, that's great, but it doesn't help him navigate Daniil Hunter's pass rush or a six-man blitz or all the things that come with organized football. You are only going to get better at that, maybe during camp, but probably during games. So... Yep. This is the time when we're looking for fields to improve. He is improving. And if mm -hmm. there wasn't a certain draft pick hanging over everybody's head, we would be we would be very in between, I would say. Because <clears throat> to kind of segue into what fields isn't doing well, it feels kind of ridiculous watching a quarterback that next-gen stats logs as a 3.37 time to throw against a a team that blitzes almost 50% of snaps that, you know what I'm saying? Like that just doesn't feel fun to watch sometimes as you yep. watch the quarterback sit back and you count to five, six, oh my gosh, seven, we're at eight and now we throw it away kinds of plays where you're like, why is, is nothing really down there? And it, especially because the broadcast keeps things so tight, I almost feel like the way football is even like programmed, man. Like, that makes it harder on Justin Fields when he plays his style because it is really easy to hone in on number one, holding the ball. Yep. And I want you to start with talking about this. How much of Justin Fields being the guy who holds the ball is a bad thing? And how much of it is not a bad thing? Yeah, I think that, you know, people talk about the time in the pocket, the, the amount of sacks, the amount of hits, things like that. I think it's a combination of a few things. One, I think it's him... He doesn't like to throw into tight windows, which we know. He likes to throw the ball down the field. And two, like, if you are amazing as an athlete, you're like, mm, I can get rid of this guy. I can, like, his first fumble, that's kind of what I thought it was. Like, I can break this tackle. I'm still not going to fumble any fumbles. Like, you you, you more in your repertoire versus, like, Kirk Cousins, like, I got to get rid of this because I'm yes. not going to break a tackle. Yes. I'm going to get hit. Jared Goff, same thing. So, like. Bajan, I got to get rid of this. I, I'm 
I'm not going to be able to run away. I'm not going to break the tackle. I'm not going to make a play. So when that's in your repertoire, you're going to get sacks. And so I think that's part of the timing. Um, and then there's another piece, but I'll talk about that later. I think you're absolutely right. I've always joked around about this, but I, I kind of mean it seriously that one of the things that makes guys like Nick Foles, I used to say Mac Jones. I can't really say Mac Jones anymore. That guy has just fallen apart. Like Who? he, he is throwing Mac Jones, McCorkle Jones Who? is throwing some interceptions that I have never seen thrown in the NFL. I, I was just doing a Mike Jones joke, by the oh, way, I everybody. I, I got you, but <laughs> I'm still thinking about that Frankfurt interception. And the two interceptions that we saw against New York that were just like, Mac, 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 what are we doing? <laughs> like, I Bad. mean, that's the kind of stuff that gets you benched. And it did. But multiple times sticking on Justin Fields, the the lack of a need to throw the ball, I think, has not helped him when it comes to just how he grew up as a quarterback. Right. I mean, Ohio State designed an entire offense that was basically how can we build the most complex one read system possible? Because mm -hmm. basically we're going to let or we're going to let Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson pick whoever you want to throw at based on the like what you see pre snap. And then they're going to just get open. It, they ran a bunch of deep option routes. There are yep. better ways to describe this if you want the football jargon. But the gist of it is we're going to use one of the best offensive lines in the NCAA. We're going to use some of the best receivers in the NCAA. And all you have to do, Justin, is wait for them to get open and then throw them the ball. And what mm -hmm. did this give us, Nick? It gives us a quarterback that makes that throw to DJ Moore against, in week four against Denver, the big slot fade. That is an unbelievable throw. Like yes. there, there are some of these throws that Fields will make that are just outstanding. And as the mm -hmm. guy who says a lot of negative things about Justin Fields, I can't highlight that enough that when Justin Fields misses a throw, that's like the weird part because he doesn't really miss that many throws. His bad well, throw percentage gets weird that way. Well, just like the post, right? He missed the post uh, against Detroit, the DJ Moore, and then came back to it later. And then he hit it. Like when he missed it, it's like, oh man, normally he hits that deep ball. And then he hit it the second time, and it's perfect and in stride. It's like, yep. well, there it is. The biggest issue that Fields has, I think, is that because he's had all these tools, because he had so many gifts growing up, I don't get the impression that he has an ingrained sense of NFL Open, and I don't see how he learns it. I mean, we'll get to that part later of, like, how much can we expect to change, right? Because his internal clock is getting better. That used to be a real problem. His mm -hmm. pocket footwork is getting better. That used to be a real problem. And I could whine about things like ball security. Truth is, Nick, if if you score more touchdowns or converting more first downs, a lot of these fumbles don't happen. I, honestly, like to say this in a more realistic football sense, if Justin Fields was getting the ball out time in schedule a few more times, you would see less holding penalties. You would see less fumbles because he would take less hits, right? Yeah. It would be, yeah. It would create a more holistic Justin Fields can succeed going forward set up. If Justin Fields could even just throw into a tight window on first down every once in a while, because he would get the ball out. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and he does that sometimes. I mean, he likes that, that, that right slot, just five yard hitch or stick route. He likes that. Some of the, some of the other areas I think that he struggles. I think one of the big ones oh, like is the route, like the yeah. one that I swear is yeah. always to eat. It's either to commit or DJ where he just finds a way to fit the ball to him. I'm with you. That and kind that, of that, thing goes well. Well, he changes the arm angle. Sometimes he gets mm -hmm. that in there too. But one of the areas I think that he struggled in college, has struggled 
for his entire career in Chicago, because I think our players there are not good, is interior pressure. That is one, because because if he gets pressure in his face, he doesn't take the deepest drops, and sometimes he needs a little bit more time. And if the interior pressure is not uh, holding up and he gets pressured there, it's so much more devastating to him than anyone else. That's why not getting a better center is really backfiring. Right. Here, Here's a stat for you. So getting Nate Davis back is huge, right? Tevin Jenkins, I'm glad that he came back in the game. I was so scared we we're going to lose him again last week. But Lucas Patrick, so he's been the center. Cody Whitehair is gone. You know, we tried Dan Feeney a little bit, but Patrick has been there for, you know, the majority of the season. Four of his last five games, Robert, he has a 30, he has less than a 33 pass protection grade, according to PFF. He's been horrible. And he is the dead center middle of this. Like, I mean, I'm sure you watched on some of the film this last week. Like, he just gets walked back into Justin's face. And especially with teams that are blitzing and twisting and doing everything that Minnesota's doing, if your middle guy can't hold up, it's going to destroy everything that was this pocket that's designed. So that's one theory, one thing that he struggles with in general. But uh, we'll talk about, you know, what that improving in the future. Throwing over the middle of the field, that's something that has not been his strength or his forte. A lot of his picks actually have come over the middle of the field right. when he throws there. It's been late because it doesn't come with anticipation um, or it's when he's down and he's desperate and has to make something happen. Um rotating zone coverages sometimes can trick him uh then he holds it and he hesitates you see that that's where some sacks come in he's not real sure of himself some defenses have had fun i think messing with them there and then you highlighted this a lot so i'll let you run with this one but inconsistent with his drops his footwork and his speed so i have to i have to just I say this because it was so funny uh half of that was more that it was an interesting tidbit that I thought would play really well on video and I had a feeling that it would do well on Twitter and then it did like do I actually care not really I learned a lot from it that Justin Fields is one of the slowest droppers in football but I also learned that the second slowest is Josh Allen so like it, there are ways to work around this because the difference between Justin and Josh what Josh really highlighted is that Josh will get to the back of a lazy drop and immediately, all 10 toes to the ground, rip the ball over the middle. And yep. when you can make that throw, you back the defense off a lot. You force them to play more cover two, right? Like you force them to play more of these coverages that contain stuff over the middle and let you push the ball outside. Right now, I swear, Nick, I can't help but feel as if Justin Fields' allergy almost to in breaking routes over the middle of the field. Cause I saw bears fans all the, uh, like throughout the game, they were saying, Luke, why are we running so many screens? Did we never heard of a slant? And I'm like, the bears have called a lot of slants this year. Justin doesn't really like throwing them unless they are wow open. Right. Mm -hmm. But we've talked about these before, Nick, one of my favorite, one of my favorite plays from which game was it? Was it Denver where the bears ran double slants? Uh, DJ Moore was open. We didn't throw to DJ Moore, but Justin ran around the left side and made an athletic play, picked up a first down because the check down was him running the ball. He's, I actually thought you shortchanged him. I think Justin Fields is like top two athlete in foot or like at the quarterback position, but watching Justin has made me wonder, Nick, whether being top two athlete at the position is enough. Like how, what is the position? If not, a lot of these subtle things like understanding 
the timing of when the ball has to come out. And a lot mm-hmm. of this is Luke Getze, by the way. We're like, what, 40 minutes into this podcast? I should mention this. Like, a lot of this is Justin and Luke Getze not getting along. But at the same time, we've got quarterbacks all across the league. Justin Herbert and uh, what was it, Joe Lombardi, they didn't get along either. But Justin nope. Fe- or Justin Herbert still had weeks on weeks on weeks where he's fitting balls into tight windows that make you go, holy smokes, this guy gets it, even mm. when the team is losing. With Justin, it feels like, Nick, you need a play exactly like the one that the Bears got late in the game, where not only was DJ Moore open immediately, but he stayed open. And then yep. we drill him with the ball, and then the play is made, and it looks amazing, and it's all to Justin's credit, absolutely. But we missed two balls over the middle that would have pushed the ball nearly as far down the field. The first one to Mooney on first and 10. The, the second to, you either could have hit Mooney in a tighter window or Tyler Scott a little later. He just hangs out around the 15-yard mark. And more than anything, Nick, it, it gives me this feeling that Justin Fields is out there thinking, like, is he open? Yes, no. And the moment he says yes, then he begins to throw the ball rather than seeing the passing lanes and the passing windows that you go cover to. Okay, so then this is the throwing window. I need to start my throw now to fit the ball between these two linebackers and underneath the safety that's dropping down on this ball so that I can get an eight-yard completion. You know what I'm saying? You you know who else was not good at anticipating and the arm strength really just overcame a lot? was Jay Cutler. I was about to say, I don't know who you're going to talk about. There have been examples of this. Russ Wilson famously does not like to throw over the middle. It can be done. He just throws outside stuff with crazy anticipation to get through it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I mean, cause, cause Cutler was more of like, I'm going to wait till you're open. Then I can just drill it into any hole because my arm is amazing. And so I think part of this is people see, you know, there's Mahomes, there's all these different quarterbacks. Like, like this is the quarterback you have to be, and this is the only way it's going to work and you're be successful. That's not how football works. Mm-hmm. You can be successful and have so many different skills or different ways to get things done, but the coordinator and the quarterback and the O-line and the weapons all have to come together to be successful. And right now it's just not linked together. I also think that there is a piece of this where Justin Fields hanging on his read but also needing the guy to be very, very, very open before he'll throw it is compounding a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Where if Justin Fields went, read, 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 check down. Okay, we're going to throw the ball on every play. And if Tyler Scott, like he did against, gosh, it was Tampa week two, I have this really strong memory of a slant that Tyler Scott blows wide open on. Okay, we're going to throw the ball to Scott because we looked, we saw the leverage. We said, okay, so he's not open. He's not open. That's my guy. He's open Mm -hmm. and threw the ball to him. Or we could do the Ohio State thing, but just tighten the margins, right? We could say, this is your throw. That's it. (laughs) Like that's, Mm -hmm. That's all it is. And what you're going to do is throw on the break. And if you throw an interception, I will find him. Like I'm not gonna find you, and right? Well, well yeah, and and then the next part of this is like where where could some of these things improve on? And like, it it really feels like it, some of the confidence has gone from Fields. And we we saw I think his rookie year was we saw a more confident thrower, a guy throwing into tight windows. And so again, we've talked about this before in other pods. Is like, is this him? They don't want him to do this. 
because Bajan didn't do a lot of this either. Or is this who he is? Is he like deteriorating in terms of his confidence? Like we don't know, but things that I think that he right. could actually improve on with some of these weaknesses is one. I think he could be throwing in a tight windows and be more anticipatory. Like he was his rookie year because we saw it. It's not like he's never done it. I saw it. We saw him throw up this seam to Cole Komet in some super tight windows. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I also saw him do that at Ohio State when they beat Clemson. He hit his tight end in some real tight windows for touchdowns. Um, I also think that, and this is nothing about him, I think that we will have a new center next year, and he will be better than Lucas Patrick. And I will, if they're they're not better than Lucas Patrick this year and Sam Mustafer last year, then Ryan Poles does not know offensive line. But as we've seen, he knows offensive line because he moved Tevin Jenkins into guard when he didn't want it, and it worked. And he's knowing, he knows Stevens line. So between him and Cunningham, I think that we're going to find a better center. The other thing I'm going to highlight in terms of what I think could really get better, Robert, is I think his footwork can get better in terms of the speed a little bit, but also like it could link up with the routes better. It could it be. It's gotten better from a speed. It, look, it looks chunky. I just want it to be a little more smooth. Oh, yeah. And I mean, another thing that I think, okay, so this is not an experiment that I think any of us wanted to see fail. Right. But Justin Fields seemed as if he came into the first three to five weeks of the season. This includes Denver, honestly. But he came into the season expecting to dominate as a pocket passer. Right. Mm -hmm. These issues popped up. They have stayed up. There were too many moments in week one, as we know, and we don't need to relitigate that a receiver popped open and we didn't throw the ball to him. We got the ball to somewhere, but we didn't throw the ball to the receiver that was open downfield. And the moment you do that enough, the defenses start a the defense will never literally ignore a a deep open option. Like there are some ways that people will talk about football, Nick, and they paint a picture of a defensive thing that is not happening, right? Yeah, they, yeah. But Minnesota did leave the middle of the field open in some of the most exaggerated fashions uh, throughout the game on Monday night, and the ball still didn't go there. So that one gets to stick. I'm off track. As a reminder to anybody listening, we are pretending. Like the number one or like Carolina's pick does not exist. So if Nick, I was talking to you about what can improve, I would say Luke Getze has to start micromanaging fields. And I think that a lot of people would hear that and they'd go, what Robert? And I'd say, you got until 15 seconds. Use like simplify the language so you can get out of the huddle, see the defense and say, you're going to throw to this guy. Like if that's what it takes to get fields firing, prescribe some stuff. Because as an offensive coordinator, especially with weapons like or with a weapon like DJ Moore, you can have moments where you can say, DJ, you are running the option we talked about. Fields, throw it to him. You know who this worked for? Mitchell Trubisky, who ran so many option routes to Allen Robinson and Tariq Cohen. It would make people's heads spin if you go back and you watch those games again. Why was Allen Robinson getting the ball so Often, Nick, it's because that was the guy that the quarterback trusted, and they could just say, run an option route. Mitch, just throw it to him. And you mm -hmm. know what it did? It created the 2018 season. It yep. created a an analytically average season, and the only one Mitch Trubisky has ever put in. How much better would it get if you could do some of that with Justin Fields, where one of the options is a slot fade? One of the toughest throws to hit in football, for crying out loud. Like, to me, Nick, if we're talking through what can Fields improve, I think you have to improve his confidence, and I think you start taking drastic measures 
to get him away from running being the answer because I do feel like we're sliding back there ever so slowly. Like we came out of the Detroit game, we carried the ball 18 times, and if Fields is the guy, we have to find a balance. We have to throw the ball. We have to throw the ball. And we have to Mm -hmm. score more than 10 points or 12 points uh, over the course of a game. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the ways to do it would be to lean, like, stop doing this thing Luke Getzey is doing. Am I crazy? Because let's end, or let me get you started on this, Nick. I feel like Luke Getzey keeps saying, well, I can't do that. That makes it too easy for him. What? Like, if it's got to be easy, make it easy. And Mm -hmm. at least make the defense defend it first. And don't run an option route with Trent Taylor and tell me, Robert, we tried. (laughs) <laughs> like, right. no. oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, no, don't I mean, I, do this I, to me. I would like to see more empty stuff that's way more easier in terms of him reading the coverage. I mean, part of it, too. And I know, I know you just said you want him to run less, it's easier to run quarterback stuff out of empty than anything else. Oh, sure, these read options and stuff. They so, ran yeah. toss crack with a quarterback run out of an empty set, it was yep. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like remember remember some of the the pull stuff they ran in the in the goal line last year? Like just make some of that stuff work. So, okay, we talked about what we think realistically could improve. Hang on. I want to go oh. one more thing. Oh yeah, sure. One more piece. Another option. If you don't want to run a bunch of option routes. Nick, this is something that any fan on Facebook is going to bring up because the moment things start going south, what do people want to do? They want to line up in the eye formation. They want to pound the piss out of the ball, and they want to run a lot of play action. But actually, if you ran the Tannehill offense, I think that there are a lot of things that could go well like with what you might want to do with Justin Fields. There are actually points, dare I say it, Getsy should have run the ball a lot more. We could have done way more on the ground. There are much better ways to punish these six-man fronts up front, like get the ball to the edge and run it on them. You know what I'm no. saying? No, like, I agree. Now, there, there's a couple things to this. So what what we've been doing, we Bears have been doing, is they've been doing a lot of shotgun run game. And I prefer the play action to be under center, oh, right? Yeah. Because, because just in terms of how that looks for your linebackers, who's really the people that you want to have come up and you want to trick, is when my body can stop and you can't see where the ball is and I'm going away from you and you don't know and there's a way more traffic and you can't identify who has the football. That's mm-hmm. when Cole Komet leaks out. The slot leaks out behind you. There's things that happen. And so for that to happen, you'd have to go under center more in my opinion, but I don't think Fields is better under center than he is in the shotgun with his athleticism and moving. And so those things aren't molding together. Now, if you, if you wanted to redesign the whole offense and do the outside zone boot stuff and the guy coming underneath and leaking into the flat, that offense, which we see Kyle Shanahan, we see Green Bay doing all the time. I'm okay with that, but that's where I would prefer the play action stuff to come from. In fact, Robert, one of my favorite play actions is not when we fake outside zone and have this big wide boot. It is when you fake outside zone and then you drop straight back because when you get the Mm -hmm. defense going east and west, they can't get up the field, which gives fields more time, which... (gasps) That's what he likes, Robert. And that's where you get some of those plays that just look hilarious where the the quarterback drops back into play action and basically just like lollipops the ball about 10 yards down the field to a slot receiver who's just wide open and runs straight up the gut. Like, I know you can recall a memory because a billion teams have done this. You run it on the 25 and you score a touchdown. 
and mm-hmm. nobody's there. Like everybody just runs to the edges and yep. it looks like the easiest touchdown of mm-hmm. that offense's life. Mm-hmm. I think that stuff's great. And well, I th- well th- think of Luke Musgrave week one leaking out. Same oh, thing. Yeah. Outside zone, booting, leak, people run, lose track of somebody. And you bring up something that I actually think is really worth talking about. And that's that fields and fields, fields relationships with shifting coverages, especially when play action calls him to turn his back, pushes the Bears to play out of the shotgun. But when they play out of the shotgun, I would argue the offense has to lean too much, like do or die, on what Fields can do, both pre-snap and on just drop back after drop back after drop back after drop back, right? And Mm -hmm. you've got to find a middle. I don't know what the answer is. I would love to pretend I do. I don't. But Mm. one of those has to change, whether that's freaking flashcards or like whatever method you could get to create better recognition because you've got some of these moments where the wheels fall off on the Bears offense, especially when somebody hard checks fields. And it doesn't feel like Luke Getze or this current edition of the Bears offense have the answers on how to get the offense back on track without needing the quarterback to drag it back on the rails. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it's it's like it's like Justin put this superhero cape and like hopefully you can make something out of nothing, which unfortunately, I'm sorry, fortunately he can do. So well, like leaning into that, you're like, that's awesome, but that's also not fair to him. It's funny you talk about the superhero cape. Let me use a basketball analogy. Okay, your best three-point shooter has clanked, st- clanked five in a row. Right. I get that you want to keep feeding him the ball, but if Justin's having a day where he's not throwing over the middle well, again, I- I'm not going to use that word. If he's not throwing over the middle well, you can't call a play where the answer is throw it over the middle well. And your mm-hmm. other option can't be run three screens in a row with decaying yes. results every time and then yep. continuing to run. Was it 13? Was that the final count? The screens on uh, like. 37 dropbacks because i thought it was I thought, more. I thought it was more than that it felt it like way more like that yeah. can't be your answer the answers that they pivoted to were either well he's just got to make a three for us and it's like but but he's missing them like mm-hmm. let him drive let him let him get a layup here and there like yep. or let his teammates score let him watch somebody else put the ball in the hoop and take a moment and recenter himself instead mm-hmm. like the bears the vikings they leaned on an Alexander Madison fueled like rushing attack that blew up a bunch of prop bets because I had the rushing unders on every single Vikings running back because the Bears, I fully expected to just consume that rushing attack, right? Yep. And it they it helped Dobbs settle out a little it bit. Did. It, did. It, it brought the Bears defense forward because they were trying to basically maintain gap integrity that much more and opened up shots downfield that granted the Vikings didn't convert, but how else do you think Jordan Addison got one-on-one against Kyler Gordon with that mm-hmm. much space? Mm-hmm. The Bears aren't doing this. Like, if the fifth screen doesn't work, we're loading a sixth up, or Justin's going to have to do something we know he's not doing today. And I yeah. hate that because there are better answers in the run game. The Bears are just stubbornly not using them. Mm-hmm. And, and it was... um. I mean, we talked about this. I mean, Herbert didn't have the explosiveness. So that was part of it. And what, based on like what Roshan was good with, but then in my opinion, the answer is go empty and have Justin run some like that's what Philadelphia does. Sure. That's what Baltimore does. That's what 
Buffalo does. When this is what your guy is good at, you lean into it more. Like, just do something different versus the definition of insanity. So, are, are you cool moving on to the, the next I question I got here? So, okay. So, we have what could improve. And you, I, I like the Getsy angle. I, I did not think of that. That's a good one there. You have to burn the offensive coordinator. In a world where there is no, like, other where there is no other quarterback option, the offensive coordinator is speaking Portuguese while Justin Fields speaks French. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not the same language. It's not even close. Mm-hmm. And, well, and and actually I think another one that I didn't even say, but it goes along with this is we all saw, I think the, um, the locker room reaction to Iberflus talking, right. And then Justin Fields addresses teammates, which this is what I think makes so many Bears fans just lean into him more is because he was accountable. He didn't Zach Wilson this and say, no, there's nothing else I can improve, which alienates you from your teammates. He said, hey, guys, thanks for having my back after the two fumbles. You know, he took all ownership with it in the moment of celebrating. He was humble. And he's like, I was not who I should be. What could improve, though, with what you were talking about, with what we've seen before, if we get a little bit of momentum is his confidence. If his confidence goes up and I mean, Robert, it doesn't have to go up much. He is so much better. Like that's what I think people love is there's so much more in this repertoire. We saw it in Denver and Washington. We saw it last year against Miami. He is amazing. He is a superstar talent, but right now he can't play that way because his confidence is low in certain areas. His confidence is high in other areas, but I think there's certain things that he could get better at. And if that improves and the confidence improves, if Getsy maybe cleans it up a little bit, he could get there. And I think that's that's exciting. That's what we all want. But we need to see it in these next five games. Oh, yeah. 100%. Now, are you ready for the hard part? Yep. So now we're going to talk about things that we don't think are going to improve with Justin Fields. And feel free to be as abstract or as granular as you want to be, Nick. Because I'll start with one. I think that Justin Fields, so technically you could have put Justin Fields' definition of what open is in the improve section, but it has so far to go, I don't think you'll reasonably see an improvement for a while, right? If Mm -hmm. you prescribe the throw, that's a little different because the quarterback is throwing it no matter what. But right now, he is throwing after the break when he sees him wide open. And again, Mm -hmm. maybe that changes a little, but it's year three, Nick. Am I crazy for thinking that it, where it is right now, a lot would have to shift for it to get drastically better, like better enough to see a major difference. Mm -hmm. Well, I I just don't think that's who he is. He's not going to be Drew Brees. He's not going to be Tom Brady. And the thing is, is there are the interceptions that we see from fields is when he's trailing and it's over the middle. Like those ones on the outside, he's still getting away with them. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like if he throws with anticipation in the outside, there's more yak for DJ Moore. There's more yak for Darnell Mooney. There's more completions because Tyler Scott and Mooney aren't great in contested things. Like that's what we're speaking to. So no, I agree with you there. The 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 phrase that I put down for this question is I put down super quick processing, mm-hmm. right? It's the same thing, anticipating processing and being consistent with that stuff is something that I don't think, I don't think he's ever going to be that guy, and because, but go ahead. And because of that, one of my abstract 
cons or things I wanted to say for this answer is that I think down to down consistency will always be a problem for Fields. He has mm-hmm. a million things he can do on any given down. Like on any given down, not only could he throw it to four targets, and not only could he throw it to them before, like in the middle of, or like at the start of, in the middle of, or well, well, well after the play. But his legs are so wild and even crazier, Nick. Some of Justin Fields' personal favorite moments, like when he is sitting in his house, ruminating on his career, some of his best moments so far have been these just insane, dare I say, ridiculous, almost stupid attempts with the ball in his hands that he has willed into success. Nobody, no football player should have tried to juke two Lions defenders bank right, juke three more Lions defenders, bank back to the left, and try to run the guy over at the goal line. Somehow Fields pulled it off. Like, Mm -hmm. he has done the impossible enough times. I'm actually not surprised he he doesn't want to throw it, like in some of these timing pieces, because I bet he trusts himself. Because of that, I can't help but think that Fields is always going to be a boom or bust style quarterback where I'm not surprised 36 key yards came off of one bomb. That's who fields is. You know what yep. I mean? Yeah. And You're well, get it in a chunk to, to me, like go back to your analogy. I think he's a three point shooter. There's times he's going to be streaky. He's going to hit some, there's going to be times where he's going to miss. Mm-hmm. And like, and we talked about this, I believe before the season started is that Justin Fields, his talent just makes him completely different where he can get you out of, problems just by being the playmaker that he is that other quarterbacks can't here's case in point two weeks ago we played detroit and we're driving we were up i believe nine at the time justin fields has a read over the middle of the field doesn't hit it and gets sacked and we're like next play scrambles down the left sideline for what was it 30 yards on second and long yes how many guys can do that Not many. I mean, not many. And that's the other piece to this, right? Is you're going to get it in a chunk. And it Mm -hmm. could come on, if you're doing this right, it could come on nearly any down. And that's a big part of why, if I was going to design the perfect offense for fields, I actually think it needs to be a really disturbingly run-heavy team. You know me, spread head. I want to throw the ball all the time. But with Justin Fields, if you could threaten with a really diverse Lions-style run game and use Justin Fields as almost a punisher, right? Where once you catch the defense in a look that you like, you're going to try to score on on these given plays. You could hit some nasty sideline shots to DJ Moore, left, right, and center. Like, I mean, that's what Justin Fields does. And then, if things don't work out, he can run the ball, and he might just rip off a monster chunk anyways because he's so dangerous when he's scrambling. It's just kind of funny to me because in this Vikings game with Justin Fields possessing the ball as many times as he did, I mean, Nick, it's not common. We're going to talk about a a player who nearly never drops back this many times, but then he dropped back 37 times and he still rushed the ball a couple times, if memory serves. Like, Mm -hmm. he touched it a lot. That is... It's not it's not everybody's typical like eval game for Justin Fields, but that's a very heavy dose of Justin Fields mm-hmm. when you're trying to evaluate him. And it's going to create a lot of three and outs. It's yeah, gonna, it's going to create some moments where things just don't go well. But when when it goes right, 
you would you're going to pick up a pretty much free first down. Like Josh mm-hmm. Dobbs can't get four yards when he's rolling uh, out of the pocket. Justin Fields is going to pick up six and look like he's almost disgusted with himself. Yeah, or or he's just like not even trying hard, and you're like right. that guy. That guy has burst and it doesn't even look like it that that dj moore is the same way you're like he doesn't even look that fast and then he's just going by people the other thing i don't think that will improve robert almost no matter what justin fields is going to get sacked more than the average quarterback he just is it's who he is you're not going to get that out of him even these last two games if five sacks i think you said that that's still gonna happen i mean he's not going to be Aaron Rodgers never gets sacked and never throw picks. That's not who he is with well, accuracy. It's so funny you say that. Aaron Rodgers gets sacked a lot. Did you know this? Like Aaron Rodgers' pressure to sack rate is near 20. Like really? it, it's it, the lowest I saw was 17. The highest I saw was 25%. Aaron wow. Rodgers is a ball holder. His time to throw has been over three on a whole season before and it's much closer to 2.9 than it is 2.7 in fact more often than not it is over 2.9 and i'm so intrigued when i look at that because there's a quarterback in the draft that i actually think plays a very similar game and it gets us off of mahomes comp like i if you know me at all you know i hate comping people to hall of famers before they've done anything because Mm -hmm. it is always always a mess but in that specific one, it made me realize we may misunderstand Aaron Rodgers, but keep going. Yeah. So I want to go on to the next one, unless you have anything else there of like what won't likely improve with Justin Fields. The next five games, crucial. And, it, and it's funny because we've had like, okay, this game is everything. And then it was this game is everything. The next five games... I mean, he's playing for his starting career in Chicago. You could argue Fluces as well, maybe Getsy, et cetera. So, I mean, I, I I fully expect them to want to win, to want to do well. Um, there are I have two things on my list that Justin Fields has to do to be the starter next year. One is he has to reduce turnovers. No matter if it's a fumble, no matter if it's a pick, he has to reduce turnovers. And the other one, he has to be consistent at least more consistent. I don't think he's ever going to be the most consistent quarterback, mm-hmm. but he's to have a little bit more consistency against Detroit. He was consistent. I would call that game consistent Minnesota. I would not call super consistent. I don't think he had a bad game, but I don't think it was as consistent as Detroit. So, and we go back to the Washington and the Denver games. It was great. First half, great first half and a couple drives. And then it mm-hmm. was, stalled out and then maybe one great drive in the fourth quarter against Washington. Right. We just need more consistency from him. And when you see that you'll get confidence, the team will get confidence and everything will go from there. That's what you'd certainly hope for. Right. By the way, does the number one pick exist again? Like if we're talking about what does he need to do to prove himself as the starter? Sure. Sure. Or, or at this point, are we saying what does fields need to do to inspire confidence for next year? Like, do we want to keep the Carolina pick like out of sight, out of mind? Well, right. we're, we're going to talk about it soon because I got something out. I got some questions for you. So. We are. But in in the nature of just keeping things focused on fields, because when we get to the comparison game, that's where things get ugly and it's mm-hmm. it's messy, right? I would want to see fields hit a few inbreakers. I don't need a million, just some, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, And I'd like to see them thrown with anticipation because you really can't throw them late. 
Like the, by the time you would throw an inbreaker late, you are pressured. It is the nature of the beast, right? I would also really like Nick to beat the Browns. Or there are some defenses going down the stretch, like Arizona's awful. Fields should pull their pants down. Like, yeah, it, especially yeah. if Fields is who a lot of people think he is. I think Fields or Fields shouldn't have much issue smoking the Arizona Cardinals because right now he is killing teams that don't have the capability to basically beat a pretty good offensive line uh like in the pass rush to stop dj Moore, who's really hard to stop and Mm -hmm. then keep justin fields from just chucking bombs on him those are the guys that he lands a bunch of haymakers but nick the browns game coming up especially if miles garrett doesn't play it i want to see competent capable quarterbacking a lot of quarterbacks have been made to look messy by that Browns defense yep. fields wouldn't ever be out of line to have a bad game. I mean, quarterbacks have bad games all the time. Right. Yep. Yep. But I, I feel like I am out of benefit of the doubt. Right. I yep. actually feel like I'm having to work to continually try to put benefit of the doubt back because I find mm-hmm. myself blaming too much on fields when I'm being emotional. And it, in this case, what I want to see from fields Let's get a couple inbreakers. Let's see a few anticipatory throws. I would love to see actual hot routes, but I don't know if that's a Getsy problem or a Fields problem, and I'm yeah. not going to assume. So no. just a few of the things that we're not doing, let's do just a few of them. Yeah, and, and one thing, when you want to add in, okay, what do players do well? We want them to keep doing those things. DG Moore, as we all know at this point, which honestly, like, shame on me for not knowing all of this prior to even though I watched a lot of tape. He's amazing after the reception, right? Players that are good after the reception do better with in-breaking routes because they keep their momentum going. So like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to hit him on a slant. Then he's going to break a tackle and just go. In-breaking route, break the safety tackle and go or beat angles. Like that goes together well. So if you lean into that just a little bit, Robert, I think there are big plays to be had with DJ Moore. I think so too. We just got to throw him, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, DJ's running his fair share of in-breakers. The Bears just aren't throwing the ball on a lot yep. of them and mm-hmm. they're very similar in breakers to the ones it's the only thing Tyson Bajant did that Justin Fields hasn't reasonably done and I really mean it like a few of those second and third down throws to Tyler Scott Darnell Mooney etc that were just the the backside dig over the middle the most Shanahan of Shanahan routes right they're there but to to hit them you have to know that your front side read isn't there know what the coverage is and know that the backside dig is already open because you need to be loading the throw as you move your eyes. Yes. Like yes. It, it is a timing throw that has to come out. And it's kind of emblematic of where I think Fields differs from a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, for better and for worse. Because, I mean, the two, not one, two, three, if you count the Detroit game, throws that Fields has made where he's rolling really hard to his left and he just, like, whips his arm back and risks the ball to DJ Moore. The first one in particular that he had on like the first or second drive, Nick, that is nasty. He throws Mm -hmm. it through a lane that I still don't know how he found that truly. If the guy wearing it's 10, right? Mahomes. Is he 10? That's what I thought. 15, 15, man. I knew I was stupid. Trubisky's 10. Anyways, uh, Drake may be 10 for all we know. Probably, right? <laughs> but so, uh, like, if Patrick Mahomes made that same throw, people would go, Mahomes, what a guy. Like, that that meme gets used too often, but that one, 
that one was unbelievable. Yeah. These are throws Fields is going to make out of structure. It's the in structure. It's the part where we say, if I get you an offensive coordinator, let, let me let me say this, Nick. This is the most brutal, but the most direct way I can say this, right? I want to see Justin Fields make Kyle Shanahan regret not taking him. Even to this point right now, I'm not sure Kyle Shanahan cares. I think Kyle Shanahan is perfectly fine with Brock Purdy and that yep. there's a reason that Kyle Shanahan passed over on Justin in the first place, having a lot to do with these same issues with timing. So yep. show me over these next five games that if we go get you a Ben Johnson, if we go get you a Bobby Slowick, that you are going to be able to run this stuff. Because mm -hmm. if you can't run it, Ben won't want to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, well, and, and also like... He's playing for, if you play well, to make it a decision for the next coach, if they have one, to the new coordinator, four polls, et cetera. Like, you make it a little bit more of a debate. Um, one other thing, too, I think that, just to be fair to Justin, is he has this week, obviously, with the bye week and et cetera. Hopefully that thumb is more healthy too. Like, I think we need to give him a little credit. Like that might be affecting some of these throws he's had the last two weeks that he might, he might be at 80% and hopefully he'll get up to 90 or 95 with that thumb. Can I, can I talk about something else that I legitimately think plays into this? And Nick, what I'm about to talk about is like tin foil hat, crazy. You, you have so many tin foil hats over there, man. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, but the, I think this is real. Coaches are, I don't know if coaches are selfish, but like coaches do want credit. And when Luke Getze puts together a bunch of these route combinations and Justin Fields no looks them in some cases and then goes and makes a crazy play out of structure, everybody points and says, Justin is unbelievable and Luke Getze sucks. Luke Getze sucks is a common refrain. I can't help but wonder. Look, I think the coach killer thing always gets overrated. I only bring it up because Jay got that coach killer moniker. And I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, I don't think Jay hates his coaches, but at the same time, man. Well, well we, we heard the comment about Mike Martz that he had. Right. <laughs> to be and, and Mike Tyson is just like, hey, just, hey, drop back, throw up to Brandon. Like, that was the thing too. Right. The duh offense. I'll never forget the duh offense. Yeah, but I'll so, throw it to Brandon Marshall too. Yeah, good call. Within this, it's like, uh, I, I can't help but think that Justin Fields right now I, I don't think he and luke getsy have like a contentious relationship per se but every time they seem to talk about each other it doesn't seem to feel as natural as we saw moments in the locker room like justin fields and matt eberflus embracing like justin fields did not embrace luke getsy oh, on camera oh we saw a hug though come on we saw the hug on the on the practice field after he called out coaching remember? you mean the like softest hug ever you know what i'm talking about like, I, but that's actually not going to fit into my tinfoil hat. I don't really care about whether they hug it like on camera, off camera, whatever. It's more we, like we, we need a breakdown of hug that you think is soft. If, and if it's good. You were a coach. Hug. If you were a coach, Nick, be honest with me. If you were a coach and you had one guy that could play in structure and he made your play calls work. And then you had another guy who was objectively better than the guy in structure, but he did everything out of structure. So all your play calls, they go in the trash, right? And mm -hmm. he looks amazing. And when things don't work, who do they blame? You. Like, I can't help but wonder if that's a, 
if that's a part that plays into this, it's part of why, again, tinfoil hat and all that, that I want to see Fields succeed a little in structure because I think that some of these offensive coaches want to look good as their stuff looks good. Bobby Slowick is getting talked about as a head coach because a rookie is playing like an MVP <laughs> at times throughout this season. You, you know you know who has a worse on-target percentage and a higher bad throw percentage than Justin Fields? It's Jordan Love, isn't it? C.J. Stroud. Oh, man. I, th- I thought you were going to go with the Love angle. No, uh, no. But to, hold on. To answer your question, though, I have had that. I've had athletic quarterbacks that don't play great within what I want called, and they've played good outside of structure. And I don't care. I want to win. So I'm, I'm okay with leaning good. into that, and I care about my guys. And we... You, you, but, but I altered what we did to fit them. That's what good coaching does. Does, and I don't see that happening as much. And that's absolutely where this always has to come back to making sure we say talking about where Justin Fields is struggling is not implicitly apologizing for Luke Getzey, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Separate issues. Like, yep. there's yep. a lot of problems in Chicago's offense. And all right, let's go. I'm ripping. Off, I'm ripping off the Band-Aid. Okay. The 101 pick is Chicago's. Okay. So first off, people get this wrong all the time, and I need to clarify this. So this is not Justin Fields versus Caleb Williams or Justin Fields versus Drake May. I'm not going to debate any other quarterbacks. Those are the two. It's not him versus either one of those. You don't want to talk about Jaden Daniels? You don't want to talk about Jaden McCarthy? You don't want to talk about I mean, they're they're okay, but they're not Quinn no. Ewers. Quinn Ewers. No. You want to talk about Quinn no, Ewers? No, no, no. My, Michael Michael Penix Jr. No. So this is Justin Fields plus the trade package that you get for trading out of the 101 versus one of those two quarterbacks plus the trade package you get for Justin Fields. That is the debate. And we get this wrong all the time. Like, let's just say, for example, you get the trade package that you got last year for the 101 and keep DJ Moore, which you're like, okay, cool. I get all these first round picks. I get another weapon. I get second round picks, et cetera. That's the debate. It's not Bryce Young versus Justin Fields, which is, you know, you look at it now, you're like, well, yeah, obviously that's not the debate, but people are doing that on Twitter. You can't do that. So I have a question for you, Robert. I have some scenarios because we don't know how the draft order is going to work out right now. I can pull up Tankathon. The Bears have first and fourth, you know, Arizona's second, New England's third. But I want to say, like, let's say this is like the fifth, sixth pick. Okay. Okay. And do you want to trade away Justin Fields, right? Or the package you get is three first round picks. And I'm going to start with probably the worst. And I'll go to the best. Okay. So you keep fields and the trade package you get is three first round picks plus Jahan Dotson. Oh, from Washington. Yep. And it's the, let's say it's the fifth pick overall. Okay. Do you and take that or do you roll with the rookie quarterback? And they're going to come up to number one. Yep. Let's say it's ninth. Like just because I, first of all, I think that's a hell of a trade package. If you really get three ones and also a, a sweet receiver, like, mm-hmm. sheesh. I mean, that's the dream scenario that I almost think is overselling it purely because while I understand people are going to want Caleb Williams, that organization just put a bullet in their own, like, metaphorical head 
the moment that they trade that much away. At that point, Caleb has to be worth so much more than any other NFL player that honestly, like you, you could, you're not going to be able to fill the football team that way. And right. I feel like the Carolina Panthers have unfortunately kind of proved that. And a Washington team, anyways, I'm not going to scrutinize them. The like, but but we, we saw it with Trey Lance too. Yeah. They, there's three firsts, you know, and plus some extras. So like, I'm the thinking 49ers like, are just wilding. Okay. They're yeah, just yeah. save scumming for all I know. Like there's no way that they're making this work. Off so, of so, this. So, so, right. so which one are you Let's going go with this? So I want to, there's a quick, quick little rant. I need to go on. Right. And it's, ta- <laughs> it's, you it's always talking, have the rants. It's talking. I'm going to take a Coke break here. It's, it's talking about how, in my opinion, the decision about Justin Fields and about Caleb Williams versus Drake may comes down to a weird, simple choice, right? That is, do you want to prioritize 2024 potentially at the expense, potentially Nick at the expense of the years after that? Or do you want to prioritize 2025, which might give you, might give you a better shot at 2026 and beyond but it kind of means you're going to delay your gratification because yeah, I get it. Yeah. You deal with the it's a fair debate. The, the interesting piece about the bears roster right now is that the majority of the core pieces on their roster. I'm looking at you, Montez sweat. I'm looking at you, DJ Moore. I'm looking at you. Even let's include Andrew Billings, Darnell Wright, Braxton Jones, Nate Davis. They all have two years of control. At least many of them have three. But they have at least two years of control. And I am going to factor in a Jalen Johnson extension. He is playing too well. Pick sixes or like getting dropped does not really affect my evaluation that much. Because the fact that he's there to make the play is enough. You know what I'm saying, Nick? Where it's like, okay, pay this guy. And I mean, I, I'd, I'd prefer him to be Deron Bland, but you know. It's still so okay. would I, right? But so within this structure, you know the team as it's currently constructed. Nothing really needing to change. Not going into which free agents did they sign. Not really getting into who did they draft after the quarterback. This nucleus of the team. The part that has Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker as role players. The part that has like Tyreek Stevenson and Jalen Johnson as your corner. You get what I'm saying? Like this yeah. team has two years. And it kind of fits a rookie. It, it, it does. If you, if you moved on right now. Because mm-hmm. after this... You are going to need to trade up for your shot at Patrick Mahomes. A lot of people have traded up for a lot of quarterbacks. Josh Rosen was not Patrick Mahomes, right? Like uh, Bryce Young, Trey Lance. I'm trying to think of not number one and not number two. Ah, I got you. Because there are a lot of quarterbacks. Everybody knows this. Like Russell Wilson was a third round pick. Dak Prescott was a fourth round pick. His situation was kind of different. It involved the DUI, but you get it. Like yeah. Derek Carr was a second round pick. You may not love Will Levis, but like that's a value deal that the Tennessee Titans found. And up until this last season, it sure looked as if McCorkle Jones was a decent pick at 15th. And then the wheels fell off. And what yeah. I'm really trying to get at here, Nick, is you can with all of those picks you're talking about in the trade. You can reset a quarterback feasibly. There's a but, though, because after 2024, if for some reason you have to move on from Justin Fields, you are either going to need to put a rookie in or you're going to need to find a veteran because the veteran can play fast and Mm -hmm. get onto a roster that is starting to age and starting to get expensive, right? Not because everything ends in 2025, but because you're trying to break open a window here. Wouldn't you agree? 
you want a two to three year stretch of really good Super Bowl winning football. And if you try to put the rookie in in 2025, then Andrew Billings' contract is expired. You have to extend DJ Moore for 2026. And then at that point, you have to already start talking extension with Braxton Jones, who will be at the, let me see. So this was the second year. 2025 will be his fourth year, so he'll need an extension. And Darnell Wright will be talking about an extension because he'll just have finished his third season. And then you also are going to need to extend Kyler Gordon or release him. Like you're probably letting Brisker walk unless things change or you're talking about him. You get what I'm saying, Nick? Where it's like the money gets weird. Oh, I know. I, I, get, I get it. But to me, you you, st- you have to insert the picks in there. So it's like, okay. You do. If they have, if, if this is the trade down scenario, right? Mm-hmm. If they do trade down and you have three picks plus Jahan Dotson, let's yes. just say, that's three first round picks you, you extra that you could insert into some of those spots. And I don't know that, that it matters as much. It there's doesn't. Much- it definitely doesn't matter in 2024, right? In 2024, my argument would be that even a meh Justin Fields, even whatever you think 2023 Justin Fields is, could probably win 10 games with the roster that we're talking about. Yep. Like, yep. And, and against a schedule that's harder. If the schedule's easy, sheesh, you could repeat 2018 down to the part where you could bounce to the playoffs. Let's not talk about it. Like, it th- that's very on the table. If Justin Fields steps forward, sheesh, you're talking about contention. Just what if he doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. this, the NFL is cruel, Nick, it's cruel. And you mm-hmm. get these guys that go on heaters like Nick Foles did like, sure. The best quarterback doesn't always win, but Case Keenum needed a miracle to pull off what he did in Minneapolis. And then he got beaten the round after that. <laughs> like now go, go in this scenario for me. Imagine four straight years of having multiple first round picks i know like what does that team look like that's why when i heard if you can't tell the reason i'm trying to dodge the question nick is mm-hmm. because you told me you're going to give me better offers and i don't even know if the bears are going to get this one because it oh. is so so gaudy so I th- well, gaudy you don't think i think the offers will be better this year than they were last year you don't think so the offer they got last year i i still think people are undervaluing it like i called it the, I, I think I don't know if I used words like the fleecing of the century, but it was always up there because I thought DJ Moore on the open market goes for a first and a second. Like DJ Moore had production that AJ Brown didn't have, man. If memory serves, like DJ Moore was the value. Oh no, this is the better way to put this, Nick. The Bears did something very unusual in getting DJ Moore. They got a first and another current year first instead of having to do the round-to-round discount thing, right? A future first obviously has more value, like a a first two years down the road has more value than a third-round pick, but it's what makes the valuation so disgusting on these trade charts, which is why, to me, DJ Moore made that trade chart so lopsided. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it is more likely you would get a first and a second, next year's first, and the year after that's third plus Jahan Dotson, just to try to avoid that third year first, because Washington wants to protect themselves against the total bottom out. You know? Yeah, no, sure. I mean, that, that could be. So, okay, it's let's still reduce a the crazy thing. deal. That that deal is still man. Ooh. Okay, two 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 first round picks and Jahan Dotson. I'm probably taking Caleb. 
personally. Okay. Two first round picks and Jeffrey Simmons. Jeez. Oh, you're you're really doing it to me, aren't you? Yeah. Oh man. I, the next three are going to be the defensive I'll, linemen. I'll, I'll take Caleb, but I'm doing the like hand on the glass thing every, yep. every time it, it, that he doesn't win a game where I'm like, what did I give up? <laughs> okay. Here's the, well, I'll just do one more just because it's getting repetitive. Two first round picks and Max Crosby. To humor you, I will take it, but then I'll also say if you actually did give me the original deal that you gave me, I can't turn it down. Like three years of first round picks and another one with Atlanta that I've thought about is like, what if they offered Drake London? Cause they feel like they're not using him enough and that they think they can get over it. If they get another quarterback, it's like, how, how do you turn that down? Right. Well, I, you need more than just Drake London, right? I, well, Drake London three firsts was the, oh. like the idea. So yeah. that's disgusting. You know what yep. I mean? Not only that, but you get a you get a guy to pair with DJ Moore. I would immediately try to flip Drake London in one of the firsts for number two with our first, like so that I could go get so that I could truly get my way. Maybe not with Drake. I'd keep Drake, but I'd try to use some draft capital to just bully a, a team yeah. and give me what well, I wanted. I mean, but I think this I don't is think they'd let me. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I, I think this too. Chicago needs to have a better number two, and and. And whether Mooney stays or not in improving the wide receiver three, I think that's a hole because like one thing you talked about is that the confidence that Fields has with DJ Moore, you want him to have that with another guy. And I thought he had that with Darnell Mooney and it's gone. Well, it doesn't and, help anything that you want to, Nick, you want to no, take a guess where Darnell Mooney's routes go? I know where they go. <laughs> they go over the middle. <laughs> no, I know. I, I, I watched the tape, but like, but like, but if it's, Drake London, if it's Marvin Harrison Jr., which I know people like have this thing, if he has that confidence with another guy, it almost makes your offense like impossible to stop because Ooh, people can't on. wait and stop fields from running. And then if you have confidence with two guys on on both, let's say even both outside the hashes, it's gonna you can't double everybody. But you hinted at something. Anybody who made it this far in the podcast likes us enough to let me let you go off for a hot moment. Okay, you hinted at an infatuation with Marvin Harrison. Are you telling me that you actually oh, like other receivers in this draft class? So, yes. Okay. How so dare you? Marvin Harrison Jr. I know. I know he's great. Okay, everybody. I would say he's one of the best receivers uh, in recent memory. Rules. But, but Malik Neighbors is very, very nice. And I've talked about this, I think, on previous pods. But he's, think DJ Moore. He would be fabulous opposite of DJ Moore. I also love Keon Coleman. Think um, T Higgins, but he can move. Uh, I go Brandon Marshall light because he's way more athletic. <laughs> oh he's, way, he, he's 6'4", 220, has returned punts, Robert. I Who know. Does that? I know. And then I think he, Roma Dunze is like somebody where you take a, I don't want to call it a slot receiver, but you take like a normal Z receiver and then you stretch the corners and now he's just bigger. Right. And you're like, how do you move like that at, at plenty of moments? I mean, it, it's more to say that the the other thing that we've talked about before, Nick, that I think this is the most important thing to close the Justin Fields piece on is Bears fans are going to do a lot of arguing. They're going to do a lot of making this topic really, really toxic. Justin Fields is not a backup like <laughs> Justin Fields is easily good enough to start. 
Will he start with a new contract? Man, Nick, I'm dying to know what the market would value Fields at right now. But he's not going to get valued right now because he's got nope. two more years of control. And the whole mm -hmm. reason we think we could trade Justin Fields is because teams are going to see the potential. They're going to see what Luke Getze has done. Sorry. And they're going to assume that they can get more than these stupid Bears can. Yes. But yes. if the Bears do or if the Bears don't, it, they should get a lot better. The team is kind of balling. The defense is a year ahead of schedule. I didn't think Flus had it in him, man. Yep. Like D DJ Moore is better than we thought. The offensive lines coming together right now. We don't need a tackle with that other first round pick. That is gosh, awesome. Gosh. So, like, like no matter what, we both on the same page here. We we both love Justin Fields. We both like. The correct prospects. Chicago is going to win here, no matter what. And I think we should just enjoy the ride because no matter what right. happens, Chicago wins. Last and year. And our future, our future is so much brighter, Robert, than I thought it was going to be because Carolina, thank you. You suck, and it's going to help us whether Amen. we trade the pick and get a, a, a bounty or we get another quarterback. And, thank you. And it's so funny because, like, Nick, I – I hate it when media people, quote unquote media people, right? I'm not a media person. Uh, yeah, you are. But so like media people will like talk about like that, that what people online are calling them, right? I need to just point out how many hours I spent last year, last summer, defending the idea that the Bears should stick with Justin Fields, which I still think was without a doubt the right decision. CJ mm -hmm. Stroud looks amazing. He did not look this amazing as a prospect. And Bryce Young was so the consensus number one anyways that I'm not convinced the Bears would have taken Stroud. And I'm very thankful with the decision they made. It was the right call. Mm -hmm. When Nick and I are talking, when I am talking about taking Caleb, it is because I like Caleb that much. Like, it is a positive thing. Does that make sense, Nick? This is yeah. becoming a, oh, what? You think this rookie who's never played a down of football is better than Justin Fields? It's like, Dude, he's, oh, he's good. let's hold on here. Like, N Caleb Williams is in that prospect stratosphere that Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence were in. I don't really care yeah. how you rank them. Like, they're in the same tier. And then Drake May, kind of out of nowhere, clawed his way into that tier too. And yep. you're like, yep. Sheesh! <laughs> I mean, it's it's a great problem to have. There's normally so many more red flags when it mm -hmm. comes to is this guy going to have a shot at being a top ten quarterback? Like normally, you're having to work around and account for way more, and it's just not that often that you get a player where you go, well, so he looked. Uh, this is about C.J. Stroud, by the way. You go, well, he looked like, you know, one guy who kind of folded under pressure and never really had to yep. do anything. And yep. he could make a nice anticipatory throw. But like this, this offense, you know, did everything for him outside of the Georgia game where, holy Lord. <laughs> and then who comes to yep. the NFL? The Georgia game. Yep, and, and exactly. Like every game. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not usual. Usual to have that one heater game. And then you leave crack jobs like me talk about how Nick Foles is actually good because of his Super Bowl run. I know. It just fades. You know what I, I know. mean? No, I'm, I'm with you too. And I was, I was 100% on board with keeping fields and going there. But with how good these guys are, like it's not – it's not because we want to get rid of fields. It's because these guys are just that good. And it's a good problem to have. And honestly, like I, I love, I, I do this on the mock draft simulators every week, Robert, I do 
one where I'm like, cool, let's get a bounty of picks, which I think they can get more than PFF is going to allow us and trade down. And I do ones where I think we're just going to take whichever quarterback I like better at the top. And, and we'll do a lot of breakdowns on some of that stuff. But really, I hope like people took away from this that we really dissected Fields is his game in the NFL with Chicago, mm -hmm. what he's done better at. Cause he has improved. This isn't like mm -hmm. Justin Fields has just played. He's not Zach Wilson in this. He's not Mac Jones in this, everybody. He's better than they are. And if he's not starting in Chicago, he'll start somewhere else next year. Right. He's improved, but there's things that I don't think he'll ever be good at. And there's things I think he could improve at. And I hope people learn something from this. And I'll tell you, I'll leave you with one other piece. Just, just one other thing. Because obviously, like, okay, so Nick, I, I am having to work hard to try to not watch too much draft tape because mm -hmm. I know how this goes. I know how this goes. The yep. moment that I actually watch, like, enough to get a full scouting report together of either quarterback is the moment Carolina's hot streak starts. Like, and, and they will just erase any reason to have done that work. This, this is my life. Yep. Um, yep. But what I will say is, like, the other piece to the rookie quarterback thing that I sometimes feel like people leave out is they, they talk about this thing. I kind of hinted at this earlier, like by drafting a rookie quarterback, you immediately are rebuilding or whatever. And I'm sitting here like, man, if you did draft Caleb Williams and you did trade Justin Fields, you could argue that that sets you up to have already signed like a Daniil Hunter type player that Brad Biggs already talked about. And sure, that'd be a lot of money at edge rusher, but sheesh, Nick. Like, can you imagine a defensive line with Hunter and also Sweat and also Gervon Dexter as and what he's becoming and Andrew Billings on early downs? I mean, you would you'd be a I don't want to say it's a nightmare, but that'd be a very good defensive line. Yes. And so then you look at the other side of the ball, and if you add a decent center in free agency and you draft Malik Neighbors, Keon Coleman, Roma Dunze to go with Caleb Williams, we've said it before, it might be the greatest first round pick offense in or first overall like offense in history. Cause normally yes. that team sucks and this yes. team would be ready to go. And yep. I could very reasonably see a rookie having much better, like much better outlook at success immediately. Sure. You're going to have plenty of rookie moments, right? But normally the rookie looks bad on a bad team, which compounds it. This would mm -hmm. be, the rookie's going to have bad moments, and then they're going to have other moments where DJ Moore's DJ Moore or Malik mm -hmm. Neighbors, who I don't know if you've seen this, but like the more I watch DJ Moore, the more I watch Malik. Malik's got a little bit of that like Jalen Waddle to him, like that just pure speed element. Yeah. And it's not to say DJ doesn't, but now the pair looks a lot better to me than a clone where Malik can do a lot of things after the catch, like a lot of speedy receivers. But if you use Malik as a, a Z, they can get over the top and allow DJ Moore to then inbreak on things like dagger, where DJ can create so much havoc. Sheesh. Mm -hmm. like, well, you, you know what I, I, and you're right, because like most of the time, first overall picks are in situations that like Bryce Young is in right now. And you're like, oh man, we really have his to, first year. We well, just got to put Trevor stuff together. Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence got yeah. the number one overall pick. Trevor Lawrence got the number one overall pick. I, you know, Andrew Luck, like like a lot of guys, Peyton Manning, they just get beat up their, their rookie year. But what I kind of look at it as is kind of a, a, a worse version of what the 49ers did with Trey Lance. Like, oh, mm -hmm. this is all we need. We'll trade everything because we got this, this, and this. And people, they're like, hold on. They're way better than that. The Niners didn't have Christian McCaffrey when they made that trade. So you take him away, and Ayuk didn't 
ascend until after this trade. They had the guys. DJ Moore is a better receiver than anyone in the Niners had at that time. So like you go through, you're like, "Mm, it's kind of something like that where you're like, we just had this one piece and you could take off even as a rookie. I still remember, by the way, watching Thomas Graham's tape at Oregon. And one of the only all 22 games I could find was him against Arizona State. And I was like, who is this guy? Like lining up across from him as Brandon Ayuk, who had some of the sassiest tape I've ever seen in a receiver. And Juco. I mean, goodness, man. Yeah, he was good. You you said you said Thomas Graham, and I thought Thomas Brown, and he just, you know, just got let go, but whatever. (laughs) I funny story. I uh we when I was coaching, we I had to coach against Thomas Brown when he was a running back at Georgia. Oh my gosh. Anyways, I'll I'll end on that. Right. We've got plenty more coming. We're not 100% certain what we're doing. Let's do something, at least something on the supporting cast, and then we're going to find something to do for our Sunday and our Thursday shows coming up. But until next time, Bears fans, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Nick, do you have a DFS article coming up on Friday? Oh, yeah. One will be coming Friday. Get ready for it. Oh, I can't wait. I mean, you're winning people money. I've seen it out there. I know I've been, I've been, I've been doing well and, and it's, it's been fun, you know, cause people obviously they, they like being right with their picks. So it's been fun to see that. Everybody likes to win money. And mm-hmm. so do we, uh, bears fans check out uh, at this point. So we're going to get this podcast posted on Thursday. So that night I will be reviewing the film from the all 20 or the all 22 from the Vikings game and stay posted for a draft preview stream. Uh, that we'll do sometime a couple days after I owe you guys one and I, I'm going to make it happen. The scheduling has just been messy to get er, out of the Monday night game. But until next time, Bears fans, aside from that, stay tuned to DBB, stay safe out there. And until next time, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with us. 